Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. Father, we thank you for this morning, and Lord, we thank you that we can bring everything before you, whether it's uh, personal frustrations or hurts or pains or challenges or things that we see around us that uh, excite us or or challenge us or or trouble us, Lord, that we can bring all that and lay that at the foot of the cross. And Lord, this morning as we explore scripture and prepare for a new year that uh, you would lead us and guide us, Lord, that this would be a uh, safe place for people to explore faith with you. That would be a ex- place where we uh, encounter you and, and your Holy Spirit, and that ultimately that you are glorified, Lord, in this place, and that, um, yeah, we would be we'd be found faithful for all that you entrust into our care. So we love you, Lord, in your name, amen. So Wednesday uh, was a rough day for me. I don't know how it was for you. Maybe you had a good Wednesday. Um, I did not enjoy Wednesday. Um, first of all, in the morning, um, you know, it started to come out, just some of the election results out of Georgia. And I didn't follow that real closely, but just some of what I heard about some of the candidates had me uh, a little bit upset. And then, of course, there's broader political implications. And so um, that just kind of had me grumpy. Uh, and then I had a two-hour-long Zoom call in the afternoon, which meh, you know, Zoom calls, right? And so those are always kind of less than fun. But then towards the end of, of the Zoom call, it starts popping up on my news feed about what's going on at the Capitol. And the Capitol is, is getting overrun and all this other kind of stuff. And that's bad and should never happen. And how does that happen? And so then that just had me growly as well, too. Um, and then, but then moving into the evening... Uh, you know, you're trying to follow the news online and, of course, checking out social media, which I probably shouldn't have been doing. But then I start seeing, you know, good people that I appreciate, but they're taking what has happened, and to me it seems like they're just kind of adding all of this other stuff onto it that, that's not really getting connected and almost like manipulating it for kind of political agenda and that had me frustrated because now we can't just talk about this now we're now all these other things are getting tagged onto it and and it's just making it it kind of more complicated and then there's you know i mean at least amongst my social media contacts there's like this very small subgroup then their approach is like well i'm going to denounce you know X, Y, and Z publicly, and if you don't denounce it with me, then you're complicit and you're a horrible person. I'm like, yeah, but what about all these other things that you haven't denounced in the last, you know, 12 years? But I don't know if social media is 12 years old. But you get my point, right? And so, you know, there's that. Um, And then by Friday, we've got, you know, big tech companies just, you know, I mean, Twitter shut down President Trump's account, and apparently multiple other companies have as well, too. And you know, I'm hearing word that actually this has been going on for a long time, and a lot of other conservative voices has, have been, you know, c- canceled or shut down, which is a hard thing to, to verify because it's like, well, someone's online and then someone's not online, and are they on vacation or did they get shut down? And I don't have the time to scroll through all that and figure that out, but people are claiming that's going on. So, 
I really haven't enjoyed this week much at all. Um, I don't know what your week was like, but I have not enjoyed it. Um, normally, I, I really honestly do try to avoid talking about politics from the pulpit. Uh, I think it can be a distraction to our central goal of the gospel. And uh, except for places where perhaps a policy uh, runs, co- runs contrary to, um, to what is in Scripture, what we believe, then that does need to be addressed. But generally speaking, I, I try to avoid politics. I'm sure it kind of creeps out in the cracks at times. You brought probably catch on that. Uh, But I I do try to avoid that. This morning, though, I am going to address it a little bit more directly. Um, There there is a a purpose to it. Hang hang with me there. Um, Part of it is just that I, in here, in speaking with many of you, I know that many of you feel this way. And so this is some stuff that that you need to hear. Um, Some of you may not agree with me, and that's fine. Free country. uh, Please come back next week. Like, hang with us. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so this isn't unusual a Sunday, but but do just kind of want to address this head on uh, because I, I know that many of you feel this way and um, and we just we need to address it and um, and it also just pertains and has connection with um, kind of the the prayer and fasting um, ten day thing that that I want to do with you guys these these next two weeks. So when it comes to this this past presidential election. Um, when it comes just with some of the people that have been voted in and, honestly, with, uh, with who got voted in, into the White House, I don't feel good about it. I don't like it. Um, I, I wish it hadn't gone that direction. Nobody is perfect, right? Everyone has issues. We can certainly go down, down that list. Um, but with, um, with uh, kind of some of the worldviews of our incoming leaders, um, it's it's kind of easiest to pick on the White House. Uh, I know this happens in though at multiple levels. Um, some of the past, I, some some of the past policies and some of the intended future agenda items, I do believe grieve the heart of God and anger the heart of God. And for me, one of the things is still a big one, and that I, I do think is is close to the heart of God really is the, the advocacy for more and more abortion. Um, for me, that is still uh, a big issue. Um, I think that baby murder is always bad for the child, uh, but I also think that it is profoundly destructive just to the heart and to the well-being of the mother. Um, there is healing. There is forgiveness. We, we always want to have uh, a gentle touch on, on all of this. But I don't think that um, allowing abortion or pushing for more of it really honors God or is in line with, with what he wants to see happen. I do believe that it is, if you look at the numbers, I believe it's the worst genocide that our world has ever known. Uh, and there seems to be this strong desire that all hospitals and doctors be forced to provide abortion. Um, that it be more and more accessible, including very young uh, teen girls, in some cases, without their, the parents' knowledge or involvement, um, in some cases, to just have the public pay for all of it. Um, also, we would, just from the, the biblical worldview, we would say that marriage is one man, one woman, in covenant union, really, you know, and, until they die. And so uh, whenever there's a push for uh, unions outside of that, we would say, no, that runs contrary to how God designed it and what he articulated in scripture. And so a lot of the things around um, the LGBTQ agenda, 
I think is, is contrary to how, what glorifies God and, and ultimately um, what is best for, for his people. Um, the advocacy for people, uh, including uh, young children, to be able to choose their own gender, I think is, is unhelpful and, again, contrary. Uh, attacks on religious freedom. So um, a lot of this has me very upset. I know it has many of you very upset as well, too. I, I've heard you talk about it. Um, and so, I mean, I'm not part, <laughs> as much as I'm not looking forward to, to the next four years, I mean, I am old enough to know that, you know, we had similar concerns, you know, when other presidents were elected in, in the past. But um, the other thing, too, though, is that really getting to the heart of this, you know, over the, over the next four years and incoming leadership, as much as their actions and, and their decisions will change the nation, in reality, much of what they intend to do is actually bringing to fruition what much of the nation wants. And for me, that is really the, the heart of why this, this is disturbing. I mean, we can complain about the White House, and it's easy to pick on, on the White House, but as, as much as I'm grieved by politics, and I, and I know some of you feel the same way, I am even more grieved and more frustrated by our, our country. I, I have two fundamental beliefs about government and about our, our national government leaders. As a republic, I believe that the leaders chosen ultimately reflect the character and the values of the people. So ultimately, the blame falls on the people. Um, we, because we vote, right? Like, that's a thing we do. Uh, I was chatting with uh, this dear, sweet gal from another country, um, and she was like, well, the only reason that Bush got elected was because his dad pulled some strings. And I was like, you have no idea how voting works. Like, we vote. Like, you can't pull some strings and get into the White House. Um, our leaders are a reflection of our people. And even if you would take issue with the voting process or what happened or, uh, you know, voting process being altered or that kind of thing, even within that, the cause of that and in some cases the lack of response to that, it all comes back to the people. And, I mean, if this was a communist country with some kind of totalitarian regime, right, different story, that, that's a different situation. But in our case, we're, we are still now a republic. So there's that. Secondly, I also believe, though, that God does not change countries, that God does not change governments from the top down. He ultimately changes countries when the people repent and turn from their sins and worship God and love him and, and glorify God. And so in, he, he's going to change countries like ours from the ground up. And so as much as maybe what's happening in the political realm disturbs me, the true deep change for our country does not happen and does not originate in the White House. It happens in your house, and it happens in my house, and it happens in the neighbor's house. You want to change politics? And I, I, I know that there, there kind of has to be a multi-tiered, multi-faceted approach, but the, the, the starting point and, and, and the one that should take most priority is that if you want to change politics, you raise kids that know their Bible and love Jesus. You help your neighbors know Jesus and follow Jesus, and you give as much money as you can to church plants. And you should also vote every chance you get, okay? There's a popular verse, Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people who are called by na my name will humble themselves 
and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Great verse. Now, some people have pushed back and say, look, like that was to a particular people group, particular era. You really can't get universal on the application on that. You know, that was just, that was, that was kind of very unique to them. Yes, but um, I would also say because we see that pattern play out time and time in the life of Israel and even as we've just watched other countries throughout the nations, I feel that we can confidently say that this is something that is within the character of God that he does and that he likes to do and that he wants to do. And so we have good reason to believe that because this is the character of God that he will continue to act this way. There's a story about a shoe company, and they, they sent a salesman to a, a new country, um, and he was there for a couple weeks and checking things out, and eventually he wrote back, and he was dejected, and he was depressed, and he said, it's hopeless here, we're not going to sell any shoes here, no one wears shoes. So the shoe company sent out another salesman, and he was there, and, and he worked for a couple weeks and, and kind of getting things scouted out. And he wrote back, and he was completely energetic, and he was thrilled, and he was excited, and he said, there is so much potential here. Send more help. No one wears shoes. Same country, same shoeless population, but two very different perspectives. Because one saw a historical trend going back, you know, generations, probably centuries, that he felt could not be broken, but the other saw a bright future for a population that had not yet experienced the comfort of shoes. I like shoes. Maybe some of you prefer shoeless, but it's an illustration. Hang with me. When it comes to America, do we say, you know what, fewer and fewer people are really following Christ, following Scripture, following the, you know, the, the, the way that God wants things? It's hopeless. Or, yeah, fewer and fewer people seem to be following Christ. So much potential. So much potential for new people to find Jesus. A few months ago, I decided that I wanted uh, for us to start off the new year with an emphasis on prayer and fasting. Uh, church planner guy I know up in Vancouver, they've done this for the past couple years, and I thought, such a neat idea, I like that, that would be a good thing for us to do too. Uh, and so this idea has been in the works really for, for several months. Um, you know, Friday, two, three days ago, uh, I'm thinking through this, and I'm thinking, okay, one of, one of two things uh, has happened here. Either the timing on this is perfect, uh, because this week was awful and we need help and our country needs help. Or we completely botched the timing on this because maybe if we would have started this two years ago, we could have avoided some of this nonsense. Maybe a bit of both. There's a Chinese proverb that says the best time to plant a tree was 30 years ago. The second best time is today. I'm going to go through the, the details at the end. But at, at the core this morning, I'm inviting you to join me in a 10-day partial fast, uh, really kind of spread out through the, the next two weeks. Uh, put together a guide for you. It, it, it's at the back. Uh, it follows the pattern of praying for the three institutions created by God for the joy, the protection, the betterment of his people. 
marriage, church, government. Uh, we're going to start at the center and work out. So the first day, just beginning with awe and thanks for God's love for us, for the gospel story, for the, the gospel message, and for his salvation. Then we go into praying for your spouse, for your future spouse, that kind of thing. Um, then the nuclear family. Um, so, you know, not just your spouse, but your kids or your siblings or your parents or, you know, kind of the nuclear family. Day four, praying for our school, praying for our community. And then it's on to the church. One day focused on praying for evangelism and outreach. A day focused on the youth and, and the kids in our church and kids' ministry in our church. And then a day just on, just on the zeal for God's glory, just for an increased passion and desire to see God glorified w- within our, our group of believers. And then it's on to government, right? One day for local leadership, one day for state leadership. We've provided names for those. Um, and then the last day focused on national leadership. So 10 days, 10 topics, really kind of starting with ourselves and working out. Fasting is really an accessory to prayer. And and so you really need to start with prayer. What is prayer? Does prayer work? What's the purpose of prayer? If it works, why does it work? That's about a six-week sermon series, but we don't have that time. Just going to cover a few things real brief. Prayer. What is prayer? Let me begin by saying this. We live in a very safe time. We live in a very safe environment. And so we have come to primarily understand prayer as a personal relationship-building activity between us and God. Completely true. All of that, completely true. I would add, though that prayer can serve other purposes, right? Jesus prayed, and suddenly he's feeding thousands off some kids like Lunchable, okay? Um, Peter prayed, and a crippled man walks. Paul prays, and a demon leaves a young girl, right? So there's lots of kinds of prayers, lots of uh, different purposes. Uh, I once heard in seminary that if all you have is a hammer, then everything looks like a nail, right? Prayer is, is kind of the, 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 the same way. Um, so just understanding that, that there is a lot out there. Does prayer work? Well, I mean, what are you trying to accomplish? <laughs> right? Presumably most of you did some kind of sinner's prayer as, as a part of when you gave your, your life to Christ. Um, I mean, did that work? I mean, you're believing it did. So, I mean, yeah. Um, Oftentimes, though, when we pray, we are wanting something to happen, either within us or around us or or that kind of thing. We would call that kind of prayer an intercessory prayer, where we are making a request for for something to happen, right? We pray for our children, that they do well in school. We pray for unbelievers, that they would come to know Jesus. We pray for a test or an exam, because we didn't study like we should have the, the night before, right? Um, We pray for governments, that they would take certain actions or avoid certain actions or that kind of thing. Does prayer work? I would say yes, if you understand what prayer is and what it is not. Prayer is not magic, okay? Like we're not casting a spell, we're not exerting positive energy, we're not, you know, sending positive thoughts to someone. In intercessory prayer, we are asking God to do awesome things that only God can do. 
And God will never answer a prayer that is contrary to his nature. We talk about, oh, well, did, you know, God answer prayer and sometimes yes and sometimes no and sometimes... Well, sometimes it's no because you just prayed the wrong thing because you're still getting to know the nature and the character of God. Something that has helped me, I've shared this with you before, and I would... I mean, I'm, I'm still on kind of a journey of, of, of understanding prayer, um, but just something that has helped me... You know, for a long time when it came to intercessory prayer... I thought that we were somehow trying to convince God to take an interest and get involved. Right? Like God's just kind of doing his thing, hanging out, but we're really desperate for some help here. And so if you could just maybe pay attention, you know, and and do something about this, that would be much appreciated. And I was always confused as to why we're having to motivate God to take an interest. Right? And I never said that out loud, but in the back of your mind, it's like, that's kind of what's going on. Here's how I understand intercessory prayer now. Maybe different tomorrow, but here's where I'm at now. Intercessory prayer is not getting man's way in heaven. Intercessory prayer is getting God's way on earth. Intercessory prayer is not getting man's way in heaven. Intercessory prayer is getting God's way on earth. Somehow, and I'm not sure of the fullness on this, somehow when we pray, I'm not trying to convince God of something, Rather, I'm helping to release his will on earth. When I encourage someone, when I share the gospel with someone, right, that that fulfills God's desire for what he wants done on earth, right? For whatever reason, he's entrusted some of that, that into my care, right? When we raise our kids to know and love Jesus, that fulfills God's will for what he wants done on earth. And somehow, and I'm still trying to figure this out, but somehow when we pray, there is some component where that is releasing God's will for what he wants done on earth. All that to say, in prayer, it's not that we're coming to God with a list of demands or requests and a timeline, but rather, really with prayer, what we're saying is, Lord, what's on your heart? What has you grieved? What has you excited what, what has you upset? What is it that you want to see done? And let me pray into those things. Fasting. So what is fasting? Fasting is when we deprive ourselves of something, most commonly food, for the purpose of prayer. Fasting is an accessory to prayer. Um, there are three uh, kind of kinds of fasts. Um, there's a normal fast, or what's called a, a normal fast, regular fast, where there's no food um, set apart for a certain period of time, but you can, you know, drink all the the liquids you want, right? Um, There is a partial fast where uh, you limit, like you still eat, but it's it's limited or it's kind of partial on the food thing. And and again, liquids, um, you know, you're, you're still drinking those. But then there's also an absolute fast where there's no food or liquid. Um, Daniel did a partial fast when he abstained from uh, certain kinds of foods. In Daniel 10, he, he told the leaders, right, we're only going to eat vegetables while you guys eat kind of the king's meal or whatnot. So he did a, a partial fast. Esther and Saul both did an absolute fast. There was no food or water. Um, I know three days for Esther. I think it was three days for Paul. Moses and Elijah both also did an absolute fast for 40 days. No food or water, which is amazing because they should have died. Um, but the Lord somehow supernaturally, you know, kept them alive through that. 
Um, the only other kind of fast actually listed in Scripture is, is in regards to marital intimacy. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement, uh, for a limited time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan may not be tempted because of your lack of self-control. Um, but, I mean, in that one, you both have to agree to it, so it's not like one person can be like, sorry, fasting, come back in a week. Um, doesn't work that way. Uh, in today's world, we've adopted other forms of fasting or, or what we would call fasting. Uh, the main one that I hear about is a social media fast. Uh, I do think that it is good and healthy to take periodic breaks from social media. Um, but I don't, but at the same time, though, I don't think it has the same effect on your body and on your soul as a food fast. And so um, if you want to take a break from social media, that can be good. That can be healthy. Uh, personally, though, I would just call that a break. I wouldn't necessarily call that a fast, just because I, just I don't think it has... The, the, the same of effects um, as, as a food fast. Also, for health reasons, some of you should not fast. Alrighty? And that's, you need to decide that for yourself. Or if you've got questions, talk to your doctor, right? Um, you know, diabetes, nursing moms, maybe you've got prescription meds that require food, right? So there's, there are some cases where you just should not do a food fast. And again, any questions, talk to your doctor. One of the things that has been helpful to me in understanding this, or in understanding the fast, is to not look at it as deprivation, but rather to look at it as replacement. We're not depriving ourselves just for the sake of depriving. Rather, we are intentionally replacing. Uh, we're not just depriving ourselves of food. Rather, we are making time for concentrated prayer, focused Bible reading, that kind of thing. We're, it's not that we're just, we stop eating, but rather we are intentional to use that time to read our Bibles, pray, petition God, that kind of thing, right? So it's not that we're just cutting something out, but rather we are replacing something with something else. Um, fasting is seen throughout Scripture. Uh, in the Old Testament, we see it quite a bit. It was used uh, uh, as a form of repentance and avoiding God's wrath. Sometimes it was used to intervene for people and to save them from some kind of earthly destruction or harm. Uh, individuals fasted, hoping that God would liberate them from trouble, um, using in conjunction with, with prayer, uh, and just typically associated with a, a mournful attitude uh, in, in Old Testament. What happened then is that as time progressed, so you kind of have that mournful attitude in, in the Old Testament, is that as time progressed, spiritual leaders within Israel increasingly used fasting really for self-glamorization and, and to draw attention to themselves and to show how spiritual they were. So in the New Testament, you will see Jesus criticizing others, like Pharisees and Sadducees and that kind of thing, um, criticizing them for fasting, but fasting with wrong motives. And it's not that the fast itself was wrong, but how they were going about it and how they were using it to draw attention to themselves was wrong. So you, you see Jesus doing that. Jesus himself fasted for 40 days in the wilderness. Um, part of that was very likely to prepare for some of the temptations that he experienced right afterwards. It's interesting, you know, because after the 40 days of fasting is when Satan approached him and, and there are these three temptations. Sometimes we think, well, 
you know, he did the fast, and so Satan came to him when he was at his weakest. But it could actually be that God, Jesus, knowing the temptations were coming, prepared for it by fasting, so that when those temptations came, he was actually spiritually at his strongest, which is kind of a, a different way to look at that. It's also interesting to note, you know, Scripture says that he began his fast full of the Holy Spirit, but he ended his fast in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, whether or not there's, there's uh, some, some insight there. Um, in Acts, we see uh, church leaders fasting when they had to choose missionaries, when they had to choose elders. Paul talks about fasting. Jesus speaks directly about fasting in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6. He, he says this. He says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Um, that would be our version of like, take a shower, you know. Um, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. A couple of things I take out of that passage. First is that Jesus approaches this not if you fast, but when you fast. So there does seem to be this assumption that part of Christian living is fasting and that fasting will be just kind of a part of life at, at different times. So there, there's assumption that this is something we do. But secondly is that either you can get your reward from men or you can get your reward from God, but you can't do both. Right? If you do this for the praise of men, then you will get praise from men. Um, but if you do this for God's reward, then, then that's what will come to you. A few thoughts on what fasting is not. Fasting is not a way to jumpstart your diet. Okay? We're, we're praying here. This is not, we're not just trying to get skinny. Like, this is, this is not a diet jumpstart. Um, like I said, fasting is not magic. Okay? It's, we're not doing something magical here or exerting positive energy. Um, also, fasting is not a guarantee. Right? Like, this does not entitle you. To, to get your prayer request or, or that kind of thing. Um, it's, I mean, at the day, at the end of the day, an intercessory prayer is still a request before God that, that he do something. So, very specifically, what am I inviting us into? Uh, I am inviting you to join me on a 10-day partial fast for our families, for our church, and for our nation. Okay? So starting Monday... I'm going to skip lunch um, every day. The plan is to do every day for 10 days. During that time, I'm going to go for a walk or something like get, get out of the office. Um, I have found that if I stay in my work environment, there's too many distractions. Okay? So whatever your normal 9 to 5 is, you know, get outside that, that environment. Uh, I'm also giving myself two weeks, i.e. 14 days, to do a 10-day fast. So if I miss a day, nah. I got four days to, to make up, right? Like, it's, there's, there's some flex in this. Uh, and I'm inviting you to, to do a similar um, thing with me. And so I would say, identify some kind of routine food event in your life. Lunch, afternoon coffee, breakfast, mid-morning snack, 
second breakfast, like whatever your thing is. And then, rather than eating, replace that with Bible reading and prayer around kind of these ten themes or, or these, these ten topics. As I've said, I found it easier, uh, like if I go for a walk or just I need to get out of my, my kind of nine-to-five environment. Some of you won't be able to fast or you shouldn't fast for medical reasons, and that's totally fine. I get that. Would you still consider, though, you know, incorporating some intentional Bible reading and prayer around these, around these themes or around the, these topics? Uh, when I've done these in the past, they are hard to get into. But when, once you're into them, there is just something u- unique and, and special about them spiritually. And if you miss a day or goof up or find yourself at McDonald's at 1.15, like, it's okay. There's tomorrow. Start again. It's fine. Um, The other thing is that, so for the next two Sundays, I would like to have a few people share simply on, how's it going? What are you learning? What has your experience been like? Uh, Has it been productive? Is it what you expected? So, um, you may be getting calls or text messages or that kind of thing saying, would you share just a minute or two on on how it's going for you? Uh, I do believe that, that our families need this, that our church needs this. And ultimately, that that our nation needs this. Let me end just with some encouraging reflections on prayer and fasting from, from other people. Richard Foster wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. He writes this. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up what is inside of us with food and other things. John Piper uh, writes in Hunger for God, As an act of faith, Christian fasting is an expression of dissatisfied contentment in the all-sufficiency of Christ. It is an expression of secure and happy longing for the all-satisfying fullness of Christ. Christian fasting does not tremble in the hope of earning anything from Christ, it looks away from itself to the final payment of Calvary for every blessing it will ever receive. He also um, uh, goes on, Christian fasting is not self-wrought discipline that tries to deserve more from God. It is a hunger for God, awakened by the taste of God freely given in the gospel. He also writes, this is the essence of Christian fasting. We ache and yearn and fast to know more and more of all that God is for us in Jesus, but only because he has already laid hold of us and is drawing us ever forward and upward to the all-fullness of God. Francis Chan and David Platt write, The Bible gives us many reasons to fast. We fast because we're hungry for God's word and God's spirit in our lives. We fast because we long for God's glory to resound in the church and God's praise to resound among the nations. We fast because we yearn for God's Son to return and God's kingdom to come. Ultimately, we fast simply because we want God more than we want anything this world has to offer us. And lastly, Bill Bright, uh, founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, in Seven Basic Steps to Successful Fasting and Prayer, writes this. He goes, I believe power of fasting, as it relates to prayer, is the spiritual atomic bomb that our Lord has given us to destroy the strongholds of evil and usher in a great revival and spiritual harvest around the world. 
as I, and he talked, he had done a, he felt the Lord call him to do a 40-day fast, and so he reflects on that. He goes, as I began my fast, I was not sure I could continue for 40 days, but my confidence was in the Lord to help me. Each day, his presence encouraged me to continue, and the longer I fasted, the more I sensed the presence of the Lord. The Holy Spirit refreshed my soul and spirit, and I experienced the joy of the Lord as seldom before. Biblical truth leapt at me from the pages of God's word. My faith soared as I humbled myself and cried out to God and rejoiced in his presence. This proved to be the most important 40 days of my life. Let's pray, and then we'll conclude with worship. Heavenly Father, we begin simply with gratitude for your love, for your salvation, for your provision. Lord, we're grateful to grow up in a wonderful community, in a wonderful state, in a wonderful country. Lord, some of us are feeling uh, a great deal of angst about what the future may hold. And Lord, we come before you with open hands and say, Thy will be done in my life and the life of those around me. And Lord, we, we pray that ultimately that uh, we as individuals and, and our country would make decisions that honor you and glorify you. Lord, as we enter these ten days, God, I pray that you would meet us in ways beyond imagination. Lord, that we would know you, experience you, hear from you, and that whatever your purposes are, that those would be the ones that are fulfilled. Give us strength and boldness and courage. Pray for unity. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.